This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. And I am excited to be once again joined by Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, episode 400. I am glad you were able to make it with me. How are you doing, my friend? I, Paul, I mean, honestly, the, you have. I love what you've done with the place. I really do. <laughs> I love what you've done with the place. I mean, it's just it's got like a new, you know, sparkling coat of paint. I love the upholstery on the new couch. I mean, we're just we're just rocking and rolling here. And first of all, I mean, all, all pleasantries aside, I mean, it is episode four hundred. But I mean, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't start the way that I intended to start this whole discussion tonight which is absolutely kind of laying at your feet the praise that you deserve, really keeping the ship afloat over the last literally 80 episodes plus kind of this this last 100. So out of like 400 episodes, I think I can successfully say I've probably accounted for, you know, 300 of them. But I mean, you have 100 plus in there that were just you. And, and I don't think that that's really a reality. We're not sitting here if it's not for you. And I think you deserve every bit of that type of accolades and praise. Um, you've kept our passion alive. We knew that in our lives, we'd have moments where you and I would be ducking in and ducking out. And, you know, at the beginning of all this, we knew it would be probably me early with the family and everything, but, you know, and then you take a turn coming in with the family. Um, but I mean, I just want to say from me to you on the air and to all the listeners, thank you so much for keeping our passion and our and our and our hearts alive into something that we all love because I can't tell you how excited I am to be here again to be on this 400th episode and just to be able to share it with you and share it with our listeners those committed listeners we know who you are we see your downloads we know what you're doing for everybody out there listening to us tonight um, from me to you the listenership and to Paul um, to you as well my man thank you so much for just keeping something that I love alive so I can come back to it and enjoy it. And um, I can't wait to really get started tonight. It's been a, it's been a long time coming um, and I'm excited to kind of get back into the fold a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, absolutely. My pleasure. Obviously big congrats to you. Third, third child. And that's, you know, for people who didn't know, that's where, that's where Matt's been over the last, you know, two months or so a lot going on there. So, you know, excited to have you back here for episode 400 you know and then when the when the time works you know we will be excited to have you back in a in a more uh full capacity that then drop it in like this episode but uh yeah absolutely you know we we knew we knew when we did this there would be ups and downs in terms of availability but but we love what we do here at saturday to sunday and you know, keep it going strong, you know, even throughout the, those times where we both can't be available. Uh, I've been really excited the last couple of weeks. I've had a couple of great guests on, obviously, uh, Jeff Abercrombie a couple of weeks ago, uh, Brandon Lejeune last week. Uh, so it was nice to have uh, some people filling in for you and and uh, having some co-hosts, but uh, really looking forward here, episode 400, to have you back in the saddle with me uh, to break down, you know, so much ex- 
stuff has happened since we last spoke on air, which was late August. You know, we didn't know what the college football season was going to look like back then, you know, and, and we've been able to kind of push along here and have a lot of college football. And there's a lot to talk about. You know, obviously last week, a lot of games, you know, were docked and canceled, especially in the SEC uh, with, with stuff going on with COVID. But some things to talk about from last week, some things to look ahead to. But but really, what you hear with me tonight, I even want to make it more of like a big picture thing. There's, I'm sure you have thoughts on a variety of things, you know, that have taken <laughs> place over, you know, these first couple, two and a half months here of, of college football or two months, you know, since it started a little bit later than usual. Uh, so I think there's a lot to talk about. So let's just get right into it. And, and let's start as we always do with the NFL draft report. Uh, for week 11, I want to start the quarterback position because I don't think, I don't think anybody has improved their draft stock, you know, as much maybe as Kyle Trask has this past week, 23 of 29, 356 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, this is a guy who I thought was on that round three, round four border and now I think round one is very much in play. He's not going to have the trajectory of Joe Burrow, you know, going from that round three, round four mix to literally the first pick in the draft. But this guy's going to have quite the rise from a third round, fourth round pick to potentially being around one pick and potentially be in consideration to be the third or fourth quarterback off the board. Uh, any thoughts on Trask in general and almost just kind of use that as a jumping off point. And is any thoughts you want to share about, you know, the main guys, Trevor Lawrence, Justin mm-hmm. Fields from what yeah. you've seen with them? Yeah. I mean, listen, from where I am and from my standpoint, I mean, Kyle Trask is a guy that I've been following a lot of the popular media feeds with regards to his progress and overall performance. And yeah, listen, I mean, we see this every year, right? We always see a guy that kind of works their way into the top tier of any positional group because of a, you know, a star studded or stellar performance, you know, and I think Kyle Trask is no different and that's not to diminish what he's done on the field. Um, It is to say though, that, you know, this is kind of, you know, he's kind of, had this meteoric rise and I'm not really sure how to contextualize it quite yet. I haven't dug into him quite yet enough to really give you my opinion, but I do know that when you look at this quarterback class, I do think there is a definitive tear break after you talk about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. I think they're the, you know, the creme de la creme. I think there's no reason to even put anybody else in that tier. I understand the, I understand the developmental potential of guys like Zach Wilson, the developmental potential of Kyle Trask. I understand the developmental potential of players that can come into the league, and this is why we invest in them. I, I, I'm totally on board for that. However, I do not think you're going to get as quarterbacks as pro-ready as Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Paul, I mean, I can recollect talking about these guys with you when we were talking about the, you know, the Debbie report, when we were talking about our you know, freshman notebook. Um, I remember saying to you, I said, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Matt Corral, JT Daniels, Dorian Thompson Robinson. I said, these guys could be, these guys could literally comprise one of the most incredible quarterback classes we've ever seen. Now, (laughs) as all, as all great predictors go, right, there's a lot of, there's truth in there. And then there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of empty promises. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson is, is making his way. Um, but he's, but he's, but he's showing that he's really, uh, a, you know, a solid college quarterback. I don't know if the transition to the NFL necessarily is going to be there. He's having success with Chip Kelly, but it's been anything but a smooth ride for his progress. 
looking over at, you know, JT Daniels. I mean, you know, we haven't seen him in a while, you know, so I mean, we don't know what to really necessarily expect from there. But I mean, as far as the top end guys go, I mean, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields have been as advertised since high school. And I, listen, I know this is going to be bizarre. And I know right now a lot of people are, are, are really quibbling over Lawrence versus Fields. I, I think it's a silly argument. I really do. I think that if you want to tell me it's Lawrence, that's fine. You want to tell me it's Fields, that's fine. You ask me who I prefer, I'll take Justin Fields. And the reason why I'll take Justin Fields is probably because when I watched him in high school and I saw items, especially him in the game, and Ohio State, you got to remember, this guy went through, what, Georgia on the bench, right? Didn't get a chance to play. Then he went to Ohio State. I mean, Trevor Lawrence had a little bit of a smoother transition into the collegiate game than Justin Fields, transferring schools, new coordinator, new players. He had to get sensitive. To, I mean, he had a lot to overcome there. Now, plenty of talent around him, coaching staff, everything. But, I mean, he went from what? He went from literally not starting, changing schools, starting that year, almost getting, almost getting into the national championship, and then coming back around in year kind of two we're looking at a guy who's or year three i mean we're talking about a guy who's literally just taking leaps and bounds in terms of his overall game and as far as a runner goes i mean i i listen i know this is crazy paul i i I know it sounds silly i think he could evolve into a very very much i see a lot of aaron Rodgers to his game i think there's a world where he can be an aaron Rodgers type of player um so I'm very excited for him. I, I genuinely think Justin Fields for me would be my slight razor thin credit card slice of an edge over Trevor Lawrence if I had to choose. Um, and I know that people will disagree and that's fine. I think Trevor Lawrence has probably the better arm talent. Um, but I think that Justin Fields has an incredible ceiling for where he could go. But these guys are both franchise quarterbacks, Paul. Again, we're quibbling over who should be one in the draft versus who should be two. So. Yeah. You know, I, 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 that, that's kind of where I stand on this quarterback class. But I do think Matt Corral. I know people think I'm crazy. Matt Corral it just has that Brett Favre type of capacity to him. He just thinks every pass is a great pass. And there's something to be said about the gunslinger mentality. I, I liked Matt Corral coming out of high school. He's had an extremely huge roller coaster ride being a starter in the SEC. But, man, he's put up some games this year. And I'm going to tell you right now, he has, and I mean this knowing who's out there, he might have the strongest arm in college football. You have no idea how strong that kid arm, that kid's arm is. There's no pass that's ever dead to him. And now that's a blessing and a curse because, as we've said many times before, when you have an arm like that, it changes the way you see and judge the way coverages distribute. You're like, well, I can wait a half a second longer. Well, not in the NFL. You won't be able to do it. So, it's got me a little scared, but he's he's got that just like what we saw with Jared Stidham. Like, man, like if he just would have went to a better school, like maybe there was room and maybe we could have developed. I, I see Corral in that very much that Jared Stidham lens that I had where it could happen. The everything has to fall a little bit for him, but Corral is a very intriguing combination of tools. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to kind of go back and hit on a couple points you yes, made there. You know, like I, I think your your discussion about Fields and Lawrence is spot on. You you slightly favor Fields, I slightly favor Lawrence, but it's not a it's 
we're not talk we're talking razor thin margin here. And a couple of weeks ago, you know, on Twitter, I put out like Justin Fields is so much more advanced right now than where Lamar Jackson was when he was, you know, before he came out, you know, that it's leaps and bounds in terms of, in terms of what I think Justin Fields is as a natural passer compared to where Lamar Jackson was, uh, you know, so they, they should go one, two. I think they will go one, two. Uh, I think teams will trade even if a team who doesn't need a quarterback is, is looking at two. Uh, like, you know, if Miami has the pick from Houston, uh, you know, I could see they, I think that, I think they trade it and move down to a team that, team that needs it. You know, I think these guys should go one, two. Then I think you start getting into the mixes of the Trey Lance and, you know, and the Zach Wilsons and, and then the Kyle Trask. And some people think Mac Jones should go round one. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Uh, but these two guys at the top, their ability, their athleticism combined with their arm talent, combined with their accuracy, their ability to solve problems, you know, make things happen with their arm and their legs. You combine it all like it, it's a special, special duo. And then you throw in these other guys who are really making this a really intriguing class. And I'm glad you brought up Matt Corral because I had him down on my list today. I mean, you know, we don't just look at the stats here, but I mean, 28 of 32. I mean, that's hard not to, to jump off at the page at you this past week. 28 of 32, 513 yards and four touchdowns, you know. It's going to be really interesting because, correct me if I'm wrong, but Corral's only a junior, so right, he has another year. Uh, Corral was part of the same class as Lawrence and Fields. Yeah, so so it's interesting if he if he kind of hits his stride here down the stretch of this season, I think it might really behoove him to come back to school. It's not nearly as good a quarterback class next year, and if Corral can continue to refine his game and then show more consistency he could maybe increase his draft stock to be someone that really intrigues i think if he kind of comes out this year he could get a little bit lost in the shuffle i think he probably just gets thrown into the mix in terms of natural talent with the brock purdies of the world and you know the desmond ritters and some other guys who are in that round that day two day three mix but if he continues to show development and comes back to school I think next year is a, is a much more wide open and it could be a year that he could really improve his draft stock. So Corral's a really interesting name. And then one other quarterback I want to bring up, and we've talked at length about how the NFL world is changing. You know, before last season started, you know, I think we were both or had real reservations and questions about whether or not Jalen Hurts was going to be an NFL quarterback. And then he catapulted his, his final season in college to be in a second round pick to the Eagles. The Eric King, formerly of Houston, now of Miami. Do you think there's a role for him at the next level as a quarterback from what you've seen with him over his years in college from Houston to now Miami do you think now the way the NFL is and they're not pigeonholing guys who are smaller and more athletic and use their legs more, that's not looked at as a deterrent anymore. It's almost looked at as, as, as this ability to, you know, win a different way. And it's intriguing to NFL teams. Do you think now King has a legitimate chance to be drafted maybe on day three as a quarterback to develop into a backup and who knows down the line? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, we said that, officially the whole moniker and tradition of the small quarterback can't play 
was decisively slayed. That dragon was slayed when Baker Mayfield was drafted. That was officially slayed that year. So now, since then, I think it's I think it's all hands on deck. I think what NFL teams are seeing, and more importantly, Paul, as as coaches begin to filter out, as the guard kind of begins to change, and we get different coaches and different. Um, and I don't want to say youth because youth is is something that sounds uh, you know unnecessarily like condemning. It's not just because you're young. When we get when we get we're starting to get coaches with different ideas that are being allowed to kind of look at the the NFL game in different ways and use space differently. Um, I, I officially think it's all hands on deck. I think teams are just saying, how can we get the ball? Which is it should have always been the answer. How do you get the ball from one end of the field to the other? To be damned about all the different protocols and traditions and you know sacred cows that we had in the game like you know i think it's all hands on deck so i think that players like derrick king i think players like i mean not not to skip ahead in any way shape or form but this is why players like in this past weekend joaquin grant this is why i was high on him as a player that could have helped a fantasy team if you needed a random wide receiver because i think it's not about the player's size or their respective traits it's about how they can how they combine with the other players on the team, the coaches, the whole system. So I think it's official. I think the NFL is all about finding a winning formula. And I mean that. So I think Derek King can be part of a winning formula in the NFL, just like Jalen Hurts. I think the Eagles did that thinking he's part of our winning formula, whatever that's going to be. How can we use him? And we've seen a couple of games where Jalen Hurts has got a little bit of burn. Now it's not exactly like you know monstrous, but then again, I mean, <laughs> you know, small steps, small steps. But it doesn't mean that Derek King is going to be relegated to change of position. I don't think so. I think he has a chance to play in the NFL. I think his, you know, I think his ability to throw the football. I think his ability to play kind of quote unquote outside the pocket or off structure and extend plays is absolutely there. I think his sensitivity to the pass rush. Very, very reminiscent of what we're seeing from players like Kyler Murray right now. Um, Kyler Murray, when you watch him kind of in the backfield inside the pocket, he has a very good sense of where the rush angles are coming from. He does a great job of taking that snapshot of the defensive rush angles and really doing a good job of mitigating their pass rush with his speed and his elusiveness and his agility. He's definitely um, in that flavor or that vein of quarterback. And I think that if there's room for Kyler Murray, if there's room for Russell Wilson, if there's let's keep going, if there's room for any player like that, I, I think Derek King is going to find a home in the NFL. Yeah, I'm right there with you. You know, he's been a guy that that's intrigued me, and I always wondered if there'd be an opportunity for him. And you know, he's had some ups and downs along the way here, but I think you're starting to see, like, yeah, I don't think he's going to be a top 100 pick, but I think a team will be intrigued with him to bring him to draft him as a quarterback. They might ask him to do some other things, but on the same time, I think he'll be in the quarterback room. I don't think it'll be a wide, I don't think he'll be a wide receiver. I mean, maybe he'll dabble with some different plays here or there, but I, I think he's got a chance to, to be a backup quarterback at the next level. And a guy who, if he ever gets thrown into a game could, could cause some you know issues for defense due to that athleticism and speed and playmaking ability. So he's a, he's another interesting one that we'll follow closely here uh, in the closing months of the season and then the pre-draft process. If we take this to the running back position, a couple of things I want to start right at the top off. First off, when I recorded last week, 
you know, with Brandon, Journey Brown had not officially, that news had not officially broke yet. Journey Brown is a guy that I was very high on before the season start. I had him as my number five running back. And I had, I put the caveat out there that I thought he could climb to be my number three running back after only, you know, Travis Heathy and Najee Harris. Unfortunately, you know, he has to retire due to a medical condition. We wish him the best of luck in terms of being healthy uh, and, and having a prosperous life. You know, it's unfortunate that his football career uh, comes to an end because he was a really talented kid uh, who, you know, I was really excited for to see what he can do this year. And then unfortunately, uh, you know, this medical issue now is forcing him to leave the great iron. Uh, but hopefully he's okay. And long-term uh, everything turns out, okay with journey brown so that's where that's first what i wanted to mention and then two before we even get into a couple under the radar guys who maybe looked well this week overriding thoughts on where you're at now a bunch of weeks into the season Najee harris travis ethian is it a 1a 1b thing similar to the uh the trevor lawrence uh justin fields conversation at quarterback or do you have a strong lean in terms of preferring one over the other? Or do you think it's a lot based on what offense the team wants to run in terms of their run game scheme, in terms of the, what they want their identity to be? Do you think that's kind of what will determine what NFL teams think of these two guys? And is that kind of how you envision these two also? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to still kind of lean more towards Najee Harris as my RB1. And I'm not, that's not to diminish Travis Etienne, but I do think that those two guys for me um, are, are, again, decisively in that top conversation. I, I don't really know if there's anybody else that belongs right next to them. Um, but I do think that Najee Harris, for me, believe it or not, I know people are going to disagree with this in a space game that we have in the NFL. I think Najee Harris is probably, one of, is probably the most versatile of the two. And now I know the speed, the speed is very intriguing for Travis Etienne. And, and I agree with that. And I definitely have seen immense improvement in terms of his overall cutting strategies. You see a little bit more sensitivity to things where, you know, the pursuit angles are, are in a certain direction or coming at him from a certain way. He's along the sideline. You know, he shows a little bit more depth in that movement toolbox in terms of getting out of tight spaces. He shows also... Um, a little bit more in terms of the passing game this year significantly. I mean, listen, he's going to set the record in the ACC, right? I mean, he's going to set the career record in the ACC for, you know, yards. I mean, I, I forget if it, exactly what the statistic is, but he is definitely an offensive powerhouse in college football. That being said, I just really appreciate Najee Harris, his totality in his game, and this goes back to when he was coming out of high school and going into college and and things I liked about him. I mean, I I remember sitting there in a, you know, in a Devi draft where we have the opportunity to for those of you who may not know, in Devi draft you have the opportunity to choose, you know, college football players to sit on your fantasy team and until they make it to the NFL, you can hold them for as long as you want. Um, so I drafted as a freshman Najee Harris over, you know, Travis Etienne. I I drafted him. And I drafted him because I saw a lot of versatility in his game. He won in a variety of ways. You know, it's interesting, Paul. Right now I'm watching the series. I don't know if anybody out there might be interested. It's a great series. You like sport, you should be watching this. It's called Chasing the Sun. And it's a documentary about the South African Springboks. It's a rugby football, a rugby team. 
and it's the rugby uh, South African team. And Chasing the Sun is just an unbelievable documentary. And it's so interesting because when they're talking about rugby, which in many ways is an invasion sport similar to football, you know, you just look at the way in which players approach, you know, different types of problems on the field. And when you have a defender coming at you, yeah, you can go around them, but you can also go through them. You can, in many ways, you can exploit space behind them or in front of them by closing space and opening up by changing tempo. I see a lot of nuance in Najee Harris's game. I see his understanding of space, his understanding of pursuit angles, his overall capacity to handle multiple informational streams, meaning multiple defenders along the sideline, at the goal line, pylon near him, score winding down, heat blaring, sweating, fatigue, all these different types of constraints. I see a player who I think is ready for the NFL lights. I think he's ready for Sunday. And I think he's going to be a player who I think we're scratching the surface of who he's going to be. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's bound for Canton. But I do think that if a team is looking for an all-around, all-purpose running back that can be effective on every down, I, I, I like Najee Harris as, as somebody that is a great pick for your team. That's yeah, I mean, I think he, I've been saying on there here that he's the more complete back. I mean, Ethan yeah. may have Boom. Ethan may have the the elite trait that Najee Harris doesn't have. He's just really good at just about everything, and Ethan has that home run burst. But I said I think the most complete back is Najee Harris. If you're looking for a foundational back to make your offense have an identity of the run game, kind of like what the Giants wanted you know, with Saquon, change the identity of the offense and the Titans. If you're looking for that, I think it's clearly Najee Harris to to be the full. But if you're looking for a guy who can add an explosiveness and a home run threat ability, if you're a team that wants to run more outside, you know, run concepts, like just think the 49ers, if they were in the market for a running back, I think Ethan might be the better fit there. I mean, Ethan reminds me a lot of Dalvin Cook in terms of what he can do when he gets out into the open field. Uh, but I think they're both going, I think, top 40, top 50 at the absolute worst. I think I think last year we had five guys go early. I think this year it's two and then a big drop-off. I think we can see both of these guys go in the top 40 picks, and then I could see nobody going until the mid to late part of round three, potentially. You know, who knows? We'll see where Chuba Hubbard goes and, and some other guys. Uh, but I think there's going to be a little bit of a gap between these top two running backs and then the next tier of guys uh, that could emerge. So, yeah, you know, again, I think I think the margin between these guys is close. I think it depends on what you want. Uh, so I did want to check in on those guys with you uh, since the season started. A couple other guys this week that I wanted to make note of. Uh, Muhammad Ibrahim really been impressive lately uh, for Minnesota. 33 carries, 144 yards. He's had a 224-yard game and four touchdowns. He's had a 207-yard game and four touchdowns. I mean, this is a guy who's just putting up a monster statistical season. You know, 5'10", 210. He's, listen, he's a guy that he doesn't have that calling card, so to speak. So we're not talking about a guy who's going to be a round one or round two pick. But when you're talking about a day three guy to, to keep keep you know on on your radar, this is a guy who could start moving into more 
uh, rankings where you're like, okay, this guy's in play, you know, once we're talking about round four, round five, round six, with the statistical year he's putting up there. He's a guy who I'll, I'll, I'll look to get a little bit more closer eyes on and potentially make him the first running back that I add to the 2021 uh, scouting notebook. Uh, so he's a guy I, I find interesting. I wanted to bring up a little bit of a blast from the past, and I've been talking about him a little bit here or there during during the, the season, and that's Stephen Carr out of USC. After having that really strong freshman campaign, he's kind of been you know out of sight, out of mind, unproductive, injured. But this year, this past week, 11 carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown, you're starting to see some glimpses of what we saw as a freshman and why he was thought of so highly you know, back then. And I, I kind of comp it to Malik Davis is having a role with the Gators this year. And he's another guy who showed a lot of glimpses as a freshman and then has been battling injuries and, you know, unproductiveness ever since. Both of these guys have kind of came a- alive a little bit uh, this year after we haven't really heard from them much. So I think those are two interesting names. And then CJ Verdell out of Oregon. I think he's another guy similar to Ibrahim that he's probably going to be a day guy. Uh, I want to see a little bit more in the, the passing game, but he runs really tough. He plays even bigger than his size, you know, I like that hit the aggressiveness. He's got some good burst uh, and quickness to his game. He doesn't have, I don't think a lot of long speed, but he runs really tough. That contact fidelity that you're always looking for. uh, Verdell has that. So any thoughts on any of those kind of under the radar, you know, probably all day free type running backs. Yeah. I mean, listen, Steven Carr is like you said before, and I think you've said it in the past and I, and I can't agree more with you. I mean, I think it's, it's a great statement. I mean, you know, the NFL knows and they don't quit talent necessarily. And just because a guy's career is is somewhat of a roller coaster ride, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're completely off the radar. So I think Stephen Carr is a player that we could see continue to emerge, earn draft capital, make their way forward, you know, in the draft process. He's a guy I would still keep tabs on because he is versatile. I mean, he wasn't a player that was just a one, you know, a one trick pony. He wasn't just a guy who was a north south runner. I mean, he could get east and west. He can get outside the tackles. And in terms of being a pass catcher, yeah, he could catch the football. So, I mean, there was things to like about Stephen Carr. Like you said, I mean, it's not like he didn't do it at the highest level, you know, so far at the collegiate level. It's not like he didn't do it. He did do it. It's just that it's a little bit kind of inconspicuous that we, that we haven't seen it recently, but yet here we are again and we're reemerging. He's a guy I would continue to follow for sure. So he's a guy that I continue to follow. And also, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about him on this show as well. What are your thoughts on a guy like in general? I know we're still, we're still digging into him, but what were your initial feelings on a guy like Javante Williams? Anything that you've seen just as we begin to unpack him a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Brandon brought him up last week, and, and he's at the top of my list of guys I really want to get, you know, some more film studies on before I make a full analysis. But, I mean, just watching the games on Saturday, he's came, he's impressed me in terms of what I've seen from him and his overall rushing ability. You know, he's a guy that we talked about it. Running back seems to be the position where guys can kind of pop up a little bit out of nowhere. You know, I feel like that rarely happens at the quarterback or the wide receiver position. You know, people go so deep now in terms of, you know, Debbie analysis and, and the recruiting, but every once in a while, I feel like running backs are, are kind of the, the spot where guys pop up a little bit. So he, he's one of those guys who I don't think was getting talked about much, but you know, and you could even add, you know, the kid from Notre Dame, Kyron Williams in there too, is, you know, these are two guys that have kind of really 
surprise this year. And I'm excited to, to dig in deeper a little bit on both of those prospects, uh, you know, to get a little bit more of a, of, of a full film analysis, deep dive on it. But yeah, so he, he's a guy, if any other, any other thoughts from your perspective on, yeah. on, on what you, what you've seen from him? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to throw those names against the wall because I know it's all still kind of emerging in terms of, in terms of getting these guys down on paper and even watching half these guys. I mean, please, like I've said to you before, and we've talked plenty of times, like, you know, my, my stack of must-watch players is probably higher than the table I'm currently sitting at. So, I mean, I have a lot of guys to go through, but Javante Williams has been kind of circling around in the media sector from a lot of people mentioning his name. And I just happened to get a chance to watch, you know, a couple of videos just to kind of see what, 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 what we're dealing with. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who's 5'10", 220. And when you look at him on North Carolina football field and you watch him run, you know, I, I got to tell you, there's some impressive moments for sure. You know, he does remind me, Paul, you know, he does remind me, Paul, a little bit. I know this, this moniker is typically used when describing offensive linemen, but I think we're, I think we're starting to see that with these, uh, with these kind of like, you know, mutant running backs that they have, like, you know, out of Alabama, Derrick Henry and Najee Harris. You got these dancing bear type running backs. I mean, he's 5'10, 220. And that's a, you know, that's a pretty sizable back, you know? And when you watch him, I get a little bit of a hint of, very much similar skill sets and similar perceptual capabilities to players like Najee Harris. So I see some technical skill in what he's doing. And by that, I mean, I see some sensitivity to the larger picture in front of him. Now, some of us call that vision. You could call it whatever you want. What I'm saying is every moment in time, he seems in control of his body. He seems to able to be able to regulate and control what he's doing with his feet in re- in relation to his blockers and his defenders. And I think that's key. And that's something Paul that, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk a lot on air, but I think that's the biggest thing that I'm starting to really incorporate into my own analysis is that we focus on the player and we've talked a lot about focusing on the problem, but I think the biggest thing is focusing on the player within the context of their offense within the problem in that moment. And what I mean is the player is part of the offense and that entire offense is bending, molding and adapting to what the defense is doing. So really a great player isn't just doing things individually that are great by themselves. Everything they're doing is obviously in relation to what's happening in front of them. And we've talked about that a lot, but I've never appreciated that more than when I started looking at running backs and saying, listen, When we're analyzing running backs, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to analyze the player's individual movements in a given moment? Or are we trying to analyze how well they solved that problem in that moment? Because if we take a larger scale look at things and take a look down and say, what are they doing? You see that a guy like Javante Williams, he's adapting and he's adapting in relation to his offensive linemen while also in relation to the pursuing defenders. He's taking all of it in. And when you see a player doing that, to me, that's when you see a player that can play on Sundays. And I don't think every player can do that. I don't think every player does that. But when you see them do it just a little bit, they suddenly modulate their foot frequency just to get it slower so they can come to balance, make a subtle cut, and then they lower their shoulder just enough to graze a defender making a tackle off to their side while still rotating and spinning forward for a first down. There's a lot of, there's a lot of 
information there that that player is able to connect to that makes them really successful in those moments. So I see a little bit of that in him. Yeah, I mean, listen, I you now are the second person, Brandon, last week, and now you who've had a little bit closer film eval on him than myself. So, you know, when I hear you talk about him and when I hear Brandon talk about him, I get excited about, you know, watching him and, and getting a better feel for his overall game than what I've just seen on highlights or parts of games on Saturday. So excited to watch him and dig in a little bit deeper on Williams at the running back position. If we close out the NFL draft report with the some pass catchers and really mostly focusing in on wide receivers, a couple guys that really stood out this week, the UNC uh, receiving duo, Daz Newsom, 10 catches, 189 yards and two touchdowns. Continue to say, I think he's one of the better pure slot receivers in this draft class. The ability to get vertical uh, win on short to intermediate routes, good separation quickness, good after the catch, but also show the ability to win down the field and be that vertical slot receiver. Uh, his teammate, Deami Brown, eight catches, 163 yards and two touchdowns. I think he's more of an X or a Z receiver on the outside. His ability to go up and win at the catch point, his body control, his ability to adjust. I like that. Both of those guys, I think, are probably in the early date for remix, but intriguing wide receivers. Another pure slot wide receiver, but with the ability to get vertical is Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. I mean, just ridiculous, silly season in terms of his statistical output this year. This past week, 13 catches, 225 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I think I have him a little bit higher at the moment right now than Daz Newsom. And, you know, it's weird. I have more at 14 and Newsom at 16, you know, and Tutu Atwell, another vertical slot player right in between them at 15. You know, it seems that it's, it seems like it's too low for all of them. I just don't know how to get them any higher with the with this ridiculous wide receiver class. But Elijah Moore is a very intriguing prospect. If you're looking for that slot component, uh, him or Newsom could be that guy. Whether it's late round three, round four, round five, wherever these guys fall, I think they're I think they're players who are going to be impactful at the next level. And then a guy who's really have not we have not talked much about. You know, on here is is Trevon Grimes out of Florida, six three two oh two, six catches, hundred and nine yards, and two touchdowns. Man, I know you have some thoughts on Grimes and and kind of the path that it took to finally get him to where he is right now. So, any thoughts on some of those guys that I just mentioned? And then after that, I kind of want to just take more of a a big picture view at the wide receiver position and see if anything has changed from your perspective. Uh, with the top of the draft class where I think there's now a, a lot more of a smaller margin between the top five or six guys from Chase to Bateman, uh, the Alabama guys, Waddle and Smith, you know, Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall, who I know we're both very high on. I think the margin between those guys has really thinned out since before the college football season started. So I just kind of want to know if it, your thoughts on, you know, on the top of the wide receiver position as well, after you share your thoughts on any of those guys that I mentioned from this past week. Well, I mean, I think the, I think you covered the slot receivers like Dimey Brown. And I think you covered Tutu Atwell as well as Elijah Moore very well. I, I, I do as well as you, I, I kind of lean Elijah Moore a little bit more obviously. And it's not just because of his production, but it is because of his production and it's not by the numbers, but, but you can't, you can't totally write off what he's able to do this season and just how dominant he's been. So I, I do kind of enjoy that. I think he's great. And the slot receiver is a position that we all know 
um, can be very, very lethal when it comes to not only your NFL franchise making leaps and bounds in terms of wins and losses, but they can also help you in terms of winning your fantasy leagues. That slot position can be very well um, regarded in many offensive circles, especially now that the slot position has evolved into that, what I would call your running back three. As we talked about this in the past, we talked about how we're getting more into that world of the wing back or the slot back, where you have players that are doubling both as the wide receiver and as the running back. So I think that's kind of beginning to kind of come to fruition. I do think, you know, Trayvon Grimes is the guy to really focus on here. Because I think that Trayvon Grimes, I mean, for those of you who are not aware of Trayvon Grimes and his kind of rise to his meteoric rise to stardom this year, I mean, coming out of high school, he was like six, he was six foot four, 202, and he absolutely blew up the proverbial statistical combine. He had a 447 40 yard dash coming out of high school. Um, his vertical jump was like a 33.8, nothing crazy, but his short shuttle, his 20 yard shuttle was 4.01. Um, seconds, which is, is incredibly quick for a guy that's coming out of high school at that size. And he had a spark rating that was a whopping 122.55. I mean, to whatever degree you regard those numbers. And again, where I stand on those numbers is it's great to have an idea of where that guy was athletically at such a young age, but we know so much can change in college. But you look at the teams that were going after him, like Alabama, Ohio State, Auburn. I mean, Trayvon Grimes was a very well-regarded, high, highly regarded prospect. Three, he was a four-star prospect. He was considered 35th overall in the ESPN Top 300 that year. And he, he's a guy that I think, you know, now that he is finally healthy and ready to go, I mean, people may not know he missed his entire high school senior season uh, because of injury. And there was a lot of questions as to whether or not he would play again. It was that type of seriousness, if I recall correctly. And if I'm erroring, I apologize. But I know that it was a rather significant injury. And now, you know, to see him win, I mean, listen, he is your, you know, your kind of prototypical, you know, outside the numbers, quote unquote, X receiver that knows how to win one on one against the team's best cornerback. And where he wins best is he wins at that catch point. He's very physical at the catch point. He knows how to use that body. His catch radius is outstanding. And he has good sensitivity along the sidelines. He's able to feel where the defender is, adjust, shield the defender from the ball, and make plays. And not only that, but he's got the speed to spare. You know, people are going to be going after, and you know, Paul, this is interesting for us as we transition into some of the receivers that you were talking about. You and I have have had our uh have had our talks about uh you know my love affair with Terrace Marshall saying you know guys you're only scratching the surface of what this guy could be i mean yes he's having a great year this year obviously many are attributing that to the to the kind of the you know the kind of um charismatic kind of absence of Justin Jefferson's production and um Jamar Chase's and rightfully so but Terrace Marshall man Terrace Marshall and Trayvon Grimes are not very different. I think Terrace Marshall is a better route runner by far than Trayvon Grimes, but that's not to diminish what Trayvon Grimes can do. I think if you're going after Trayvon Grimes, I think if you're going after Terrace Marshall, and I've told you this before, I like Terrace Marshall for the Giants. If we can't get Terrace Marshall, you could do a lot worse than getting Trayvon Grimes for us. That would be an interesting pick for us. Probably a couple rounds later too. Yeah, he's a great value pick for a team like the Giants. 
All he's got to do is do what he does best in college. You don't need to do much more than that. And if he can do that for us, then you can work Darius Slayton from different positions, and then you can bring in Sterling Shepard, and you can get the whole squad back. And, you know, you, you have a nice little offense. I think Trayvon Grimes and that Terrace Marshall kind of comparison, they're not the same player. I think Terrace Marshall is a better wide receiver. But Trayvon Grimes is in that arena of ability. So I'm very, very interested and high on Trayvon Grimes. I'm so happy for the young man that he's healthy now and he's able to contribute and he's making a name for himself. I mean, this guy just went through a ton of stuff trying to get on the field, stay healthy and compete. So good for him, man. I'm really happy for him. So, Paul, any any thoughts? But just before we finish off the top of the wide receivers and go into those guys anymore, but just out of curiosity, anything on on Trayvon Grimes or, or the top of the receivers for you? Has anything changed? Yeah, I mean, I think for me is when I watch these guys in the summer, I thought it was going to be more Chase, Bateman, a little bit of a gap before the Alabama guys and Rondell Moore came off the board. And then Terrace Marshall, I kind of had – right on the outside looking in of round one, kind of with the unknown of Justin Ross's medical condition. I had those two guys kind of next before we went to like the Seth Williamses and the Sage Sherratts uh, and those kind of guys, you know, the Chris Olaves, Amon Ross, St. Browns, who I love the route running of those two guys. But I kind of had Marshall with Justin Ross and Tamarian Terry as guys who were in that second wave in that day two mix. But now I think Terrence Marshall has pushed his way into that top six mix. So, and I think the, the margin between these guys has narrowed to the point where I'm not sure Chase is even the lock to be the first one taken. We saw last year Henry Ruggs go first. I don't think it's inconsistent. Which you called, which you called. I mean, listen, yeah. kudos to you. You, you, you made the call from a, from a, from literally from a helicopter, you called that <laughs> because that's how far away you were. You were right. I mean, they went for the speed. They wanted that speed. And I think, I think it's, now again, we don't know if everything checks out, you know, coming back from the injury. But if if Chase gets pushed off the one spot, I think it's going to be Jalen Waddle. And I think because he's the closest comp to me to Tyree Kill. Every year we kind of hear somebody comp to Tyree Kill. Henry Ruggs to me was more Will Fuller than he was Tyree Kill. Jalen Waddle is Tyree Kill 2.0, I think. So if there's anybody that's going to push Jamar Chase off of the first wide receiver taken, I think it's Jalen Waddle. But I think now Bateman could see guys leapfrog him. I wouldn't be surprised if Waddle leapfrogs Bateman. I wouldn't be surprised if Devonta Smith leapfrogs Bateman. I wouldn't be surprised if by a time draft night rolls around, Terrace Marshall leapfrogs Rashad Bateman. Okay, so like I think there's more guys in the mix now. To me, now it's a top six with the Bama guys, Chase, Marshall, Bateman, and Rondell Moore. To me, those are the top six before we have a tier break where then we get to the Ross, the Terrys, the Olaves, Amon Ross St. Brown, and then the next wave of Seth Williams, Sage Surratt, and Tylen Wallace, that kind of group there. And, uh, you know, right now I have Tylen Wallace sitting at 13, and I think it's disrespectful. And I maybe can get him up ahead of Sage Surratt, who we're not seeing anything from this year because he opted out. You know, and I might even end up putting him above Seth Williams if I have some separation, you know, concerns for Seth Williams. But at the same time, it just shows you the depth of this class that for all the names I watch right now, Tylen Wallace sits at number 13 for me just because of how many talented receivers there are. So I think that's kind of, you know, some of my thought process in terms of 
I think the top of the wide receiver board is a little bit more up for grabs than I thought than I think most people thought it would be before the season started. Well, you know what? And I'm I'm just gonna kind of take a couple of those names that you just mentioned, and I'm gonna say I hope everybody leaves Amon Ross St. Brown for me. I'm willing <laughs> to take I I will draft Amon Ross St. Brown in the second round of a rookie draft towards the latter end of that round, and I will take him and I will walk on my way. He's a guy that I think that people are, and again, I don't think they're sleeping on him. That's not that's not a correct phrase. I do think that his professional career could be truly something to behold. And I think that he's the type of player that's going to immediately work his way into meaningful NFL snaps. He is a think think of what we wanted from Jalen Rieger, right? Jalen Rieger, we all like Jalen Rieger, and every indication is there's there's going to be room for him to eventually kind of emerge. It hasn't happened as quickly as maybe we all thought, but he's definitely on his way. Amon Ross St. Brown's is a, is a way more polished version of what we thought Jalen Rager could be. He's a very good route runner, and he's also extremely tough in the details of being a wide receiver. He's good against the press. He's a solid blocker. He can win down the field. Yes, he doesn't have... Yes, he doesn't have the um, the size to win down the field, but he has the understanding of pursuit, the understanding of using his body to pace the defender so he knows how to keep that defender on his back, and he can use that to win down the field. He's very, very sensitive like that as a wide receiver, and he's extremely effective in the open field. He's a very, very tough physical wide receiver. Of all the St. Brown boys, I think he might be the best pro. I think he might very well end up being the best pro out of the St. Brown boys. And that's not necessarily how it was uh, supposed to go down. So he he's a big fan favorite of mine. And I, again, I would throw Tylen Wallace in there. He's another guy I would take happily at the end of the second round. I like Tylen Wallace. I think Tylen Wallace, again, very much in that ilk of a of an Amon Ross St. Brown, very much in that world of a Jalen Rager, very much in that world of a quote-unquote, as we use those cliches, the wide receiver who plays bigger than he is. <laughs> um, that, that phraseology just tells me that you're talking about a physical receiver who knows how to use their body to shield defenders regardless of their size. So I don't think they play bigger. They just understand how to use their body better than players that are twice their size, which is unbelievable. I mean, that's just unfair. I mean, imagine if those guys were six foot four, right? I mean, those guys would be monsters, you know? So they've done that because they've had to. They've had to learn how to adapt. So, I mean, I really like Tylen Wallace. I really like Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, I, those are those are two guys that I'm I'm literally starring, circling, and highlighting. I think those guys, when all the dust settles in terms of skill, I think in terms of adaptability, in terms of handling a variety of situations, I, I think they belong in that conversation. Um, potentially in that top ten, top five, top eight category. I mean, listen, they may not they're not leapfrogging Terrace Marshall for me. They're not leapfrogging Jamar Chase. They're not leapfrogging Rondale Moore. I think Rondale Moore is fantastic. Okay. They're not leapfrogging um, Rashad Bateman necessarily. Okay. But I do think after you have that conversation, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith. Yeah. I, I think after you mention those guys, and that's about five to eight guys, I think that's right around where you might see Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think Amon Ross St. Brown can, can hold his own in that top five if he's number five at all. So I, I'm big on Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I really do like him. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think there's a lot to like about his game, you know, and it just shows you this class. Like, there is going to be wide receivers on in rounds two, round three that are guys that could be very impactful players. And I know we've talked about the Giants a lot, and they're definitely in the market for another receiver. I think that it'll be a high priority for them, and maybe they go the free agent route to look for, like, a true alpha, like an Allen Robinson or a Kenny Galladay. Uh, but if they don't, and... They go defense in round one, which is what I think they'll end up doing. I think they might look to attack the wide receiver position in round two or round three. And there's going to be options there based on what they're looking for. You know, it really is going to be, you know, they need, they could use some size. I think they'll, I think they'll stay away from the slot guys because I think naturally they're going to want to move Sterling Shepard back to his most comfortable spot, which is the slot. So I think they kind of will have to look and say, okay, who do we envision complementing Darius Slayton and, you know, and Sterling Shepard best? And if they don't go the free agent route, which I think I'd love to see them go get that true alpha who's already been proven in Galladay or Allen Robinson. I think, you know, that's why we, we were so high on Terrace Marshall. And I don't think he'll be there now anymore in the second round for them, you know, but I, I think they'll be looking more for a guy like that. So I could see them looking at a guy like Seth Williams, maybe in round two or round three. A guy like that might be where the Giants are looking. But but if 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 teams are looking for really good route runners, Amon Ross St. Brown, Chris Olave, there there's plethora of options on day two. Well I think I think you know you're seeing the recent success of guys like Deontay Johnson. And when you look at a player like Deontay Johnson, I mean when you watch Pittsburgh play with Deontay Johnson, I mean it's not like he's always winning down the field. They, they get him a variety of targets in a variety of ways. They try to exploit the fact that he can win in space and they'll use him in the screen game. They use him in short passes. They're not necessarily always looking to go deep. And I think that that's a testament to the fact that the NFL is very sensitive to the idea that, you know, if we spread you thin horizontally and we spread out your defense and we create gaps in your defensive structure just by virtue of alignment, we can get some of these quicker jitterbug wide receivers, so to speak, like Deontay Johnson, the Amon Ross St. Browns who have yet to come, Tylen Wallace's. Um, even I was, uh, it was a wonderful comment on Twitter recently. Um, I forget his Twitter handle, so excuse me, Sashi, uh, for saying it, but Darnell Mooney brought up Darnell Mooney as well. Um, those types of players are interesting now for NFL teams just by virtue of the fact that because we're spreading everything out, we're creating natural holes in the defense by virtue of alignment. These guys that can win and make people miss in space, it's like a short pass, man. It's like a handoff run, only it's a short, quick pass to the outside. And now these guys are going for five yards, six yards, eight yards, breaking one for a touchdown. There's a lot to like about complementing with these types of wide receivers. So I'm excited to see where these guys go. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guys, I know we went a little long there on the first segment, but, you know, it's been a while since Matt's been on air. A lot of things we want Sorry. To on there uh, and, you know, good conversation. So let's take this to the Devi Slant where we talk about some underclassmen. I had written down a few names from this past week. Obviously, Sam Howell, someone I'm talking about every single week. I think he's going to be QB1 in the 2022 NFL draft this past week. 550 yards and six touchdowns. We already talked about his top wide receivers. Deami Brown, his outside guy, his, his slot receiver, and Daz Newsome. Uh, uh, 
Kaden uh, Kaden Slovis at a USC, one of the top underclassmen quarterback prospects. For uh, for 125 yards and a touchdown at the running back position, Kevin Harris continues to put up a monster statistical season. 13 touchdowns now this past week, 243 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, Jerry Neely continues to be productive this past week, finding the end zone two more times. You can share some thoughts on any of these guys, Matt, but I really want to hear you talk a little bit about some of the freshmen who have kind of just hit the ground running this year, whether it's Tank Bigsby, the running back out of Auburn, uh, B. John Robinson out of Texas. Any thoughts on some of the underclassmen I either mentioned or really just talking about some of the freshmen who I know you studied deep for the freshman notebook last year that have kind of came out of the gates and and made a name for themselves in the early going of their collegiate career. Yeah, I mean, let's start right at the. I mean, let's start right at the top with with regards to the players that were rated highest coming into the freshman year in our freshman notebook, and that goes right there to be John Robinson. I mean, he was our he was our number one overall player coming out of high school. We totally liked his game. We thought he was a complete player. I mean, I remember saying that you know the things that interest me the most, and one of the things that we did in the freshman notebook last year um, was that we put together you know, kind of a superlatives list, right? A list of players that just excelled in different aspects of the game to to just kind of help people kind of contextualize who they are as players. And, you know, there wasn't really any aspect of the running back position where Bijan Robinson really shined. I mean, he there was he was good everywhere. I mean, when you look at our superlatives, right? I mean, in terms of interior runs, we had Bijan Robinson at number two. In terms of outside runs, we had him as number two in the class. At wide as a receiver out of the backfield, um, he was number three out of the class. And in terms of contact fidelity, his ability to handle contact, manage contact, you know, that was something where he was number two overall. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's top one, top two, top three at every respective area of his game. And Bijan Robinson has done nothing but continue to impress and he's continued to develop. You know, when you look at Bijan Robinson from the beginning of the year till now, I think it's really obvious that he is beginning to, again, I don't want to use the cliche, the game is slowing down, but he's beginning to get more comfortable at the collegiate level. He's doing a great job starting to understand what opportunities there are in terms of his players around him, the blocks and how they present opportunities and gaps for him to, you know, kind of exploit. And he's been doing a great job of doing that. And I think you're starting to see a little bit more creativeness and creativity to his game because as the game begins to slow down, he begins to understand how he can kind of he can kind of modulate or regulate those blocks. Like I don't really have to make the cut here. If I press a little bit longer, I can really help my guard turn that defender inside and now all of a sudden I can get to the outside much quicker and now I have a better angle on the second level defender who's coming at me from the sideline. And I can use that and maybe break up field inside as opposed to getting pushed or pushed outside towards the sideline. He's beginning to see all of that now. And as he begins to see all that, you're starting to see him emerge as a very creative route runner. Excuse me, as a very creative runner, both inside and outside. I, he's, he's just everything you want. I had him as a scheme versatile starter, Paul. I said you draft him now. Um, I actually traded for him. I actually traded for him in a league. Now, listen, guys, my team is tanking. Okay. My team and I'm in a Devi league. My team is really not strong. I've been trying to reclaim this thing for like a year or two. Um, 
I traded him and I traded, I traded, I traded Kenyon Drake um, pretty much straight up for Bijan Robinson. And it was blast me. I got blasted for it. You know what? I needed to do it. I, I, I needed to, I needed to a invest in the players I love and B um, cause that's how I have fun. And B I needed to start a look for the future. And I said, I need a, a guy that I think could be a slam dunk. So I went with Bijan Robinson. Tank Bisbee is right there. Tank Bisbee is an outstanding. Cartavius Tank Bisbee is an outstanding running back as well. The number two overall running back in this class is Tank Bisbee. I think we had him as our number three overall prospect in the freshman notebook. Just to remind everybody that's sitting there who are interested in the uh, the kind of world of you know, Devi, we actually had, excuse me, we had as our top five players, we had Bijan Robinson, Arik Gilbert from LSU, who's just a stud at tight end. If you need a tight end, Paul, it's going to be an absolute revelation, the tight end class that's coming out. I mean, you know, we think about the Kyle Pitts that are coming out, the, you know, the Pat Fryermuths, and then we have the Arik Gilberts in the, in the pipeline. I mean, we just have an outstanding bunch of guys. We've got Julian Fleming at Ohio State at number three. Then we had Damon Dumas, uh, at Texas A&M, and then we had Tanks Bigsby at number five, and then we had DJ Ugalele, right, um, who's been phenomenal at Clemson. He got a couple of starts now, and he looked great. So, I mean, Tank Bigsby, Bijan Robinson, I think those are guys that you absolutely go after in your Devi leagues. Tank is absolutely going to be a tank at the NFL level, and I think there's no reason to believe he's not going to be outstanding. And people may not forget this. Do you know who our number one receiver was at the at the running back position? It was Tank Bigsby. So interesting, right? Interesting. People think Tank Bigsby, they think Auburn, they think tough, rugged, between-the-tackles runner. Yeah, he could do it. He had the best contact fidelity in the class, in my opinion. But he was also a good receiver. So... In terms of the Devi slant, those are the freshman updates. Again, I just want to share with you guys, guys, to keep on your radar. If you haven't kept them on your radar yet, there are still guys out there that you should be looking at, you know, in your Devi leagues, right? I mean, David Bell, if he's not taken up, go grab him. Where's David Bell in your league? Who's got the Purdue standout, right? If you're talking about guys like Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson is a fan favorite here at Saturday to Sunday. We've loved him for years. Look at him emerging into the next Calvin Ridley-esque type of player. He's a tremendous route runner. Try to go out and scoop up players like Spencer Rattler, who's starting to show himself as a potential QB prospect down the line. Guys like Jerrion Ely, people are still... Listen, you have to sleep on Jerrion Ely. I, I'm sleeping too because I don't know if this guy is going to end up playing you know, at the next level. You know, Rakeem Jared from Maryland is another one to keep your eyes on. He's already coming out as a wide receiver. As a freshman, he's been doing outstanding. Okay. Other guys that to just keep in mind, again, we already said Arik Gilbert. Arik Gilbert would be one of those guys that I would draft right now if I had a top two or three pick. Okay. So if you have nothing but freshmen and sophomores to choose from, I think Arik Gilbert is a guy that I'm spending a top two or three pick on. I think I'm that confident that he'll transition to the NFL and I'm excited for him. And the last couple of names I'll throw at you guys just to keep on your radar um, as you guys are progressing into your Devi drafts. Okay. Keep the guys still in there like Zach Charbonnet and Eric Gray and Brees Hall. Obviously, Brees Hall probably owned already, but keep those guys in line. And you know what? I'm going to throw DJ um, Ugalele in there in terms of the quarterback position. There's a lot to like about him. There's a lot to like about him, Paul. I think if, uh, as we see the Josh Allens emerge, and if you get that guy into a developmental system, 
you know, I think that, you know, DJ could be that quarterback that emerges at the next level as well. Yeah. I mean, I talked about, uh, Uangale last week and how impressive he looked and like, he's got that Dak Prescott, that Cam Newton vibe to him. Uh, so he's, he's the guy huge. that he's, he's the huge. guy he's that Clemson, he, yeah, Clemson will be in fine handles in fine hands once uh, Trevor Lawrence moves on. Two hundred forty-eight pounds, dude. Yeah, I mean it's it's Six ridiculous. Six foot five, two forty-eight. He's a linebacker. I yeah. feel like he's a defensive end. Yeah. I feel like, like, yeah, absolutely. So he he's a guy who you know. Listen, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for so many of these guys because it's it's amazing that in this year with the lack of uncertainty that we had going into this college football season that we've had this many freshmen produce early on. And on the flip side, the same thing about the NFL could be said, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, but really, really, really remarkable in terms of what we've seen uh, from some of these freshmen. So let's take this to the, the next segment, which is detail of the tape, uh, where we kind of take a look ahead to week 12 and, and preview some things. Not a lot of major games and matchups on the docket this week. Uh, Indiana, which has been one of the surprise teams of the country in the country this year, uh, up against Ohio State. So obviously Justin Fields and Garrett Wilson and the running backs, Master Teague and Trey Sermon and Chris Olave. A lot of guys on Ohio State, uh, their biggest matchup so far to date this year. So that'll be close eyes on all of their top level prospects. Tennessee versus Auburn. You just talked about Tank Bigsby. Tennessee's got a great underclassman running back and Eric Gray. I'll be watching them. Uh, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. You just talked about Spencer Rattler. I'll have highs on him at Oklahoma. Oak State, uh, Chuba Hubbard. How does he look? Most likely right now, he's the, the RB3 in this class. Uh, on Friday night, Louisville's playing. I know we're intrigued by some of the guys there. Javion Hawkins did just opt out for the rest of the year. I think he's a day three type running back, really good change of pace type guy, uh, home run threat if you get him in the open field. But we'll, we'll keep our eyes on Tutu Atwell, like I said before, vertical slot guy. And then a favorite of ours here, Des Fitzpatrick, could be a really intriguing day three wide receiver, you know, play that flanker position or a big slot position. And then I know, I know the point spread is massive, but Clemson, Florida, to state obviously all the clemson guys that are intriguing uh you know and see if florida state could even hang around a little bit but we're talking like a 30 point spread there so you know florida state still very much on hard times what used to be a monster game on the docket uh no longer in terms of being competitive or not but still intriguing to watch these clemson guys uh each and every single week any anybody anything from what i mentioned there matt in terms of those games uh stand out to you in terms of really wanting to have your eyes on this weekend you know what I would just reiterate Des Fitzpatrick is a player that I do like. He's a player that I think is absolutely under the radar. Uh, and I think that you really kind of handle it really nicely with him. I think he is a flanker, big slot type guy. And I think he's a guy that will relish uh, in the NFL is giving you great depth and he could work his way into maybe a potential top three role if everything were to cut the dice for the right way. So he's a great player to keep your eyes on. Um, he's exciting. He's not going to woo you with, incredible speed down the field but he's gonna he's gonna be that technician that player that's really gonna see the field well and get himself into position where the quarterback's gonna be able to throw so I I really do like him and I and I and I love that matchup I love that matchup with Tank Bigsby and Eric Gray Eric Gray is by far um, one of the most impressive problem solvers that we had at the position when he was coming out of high school I was excited for him I liked him as a player and um, really from the get-go as a freshman he was great so, I mean, he's another one who's going to be on our radars, and I'm just excited to see him. So, yeah, full slate of games, really excited to take a look. 
Yeah, and let's and let's close out the night with the NFL rookie report for week 10 and I mean, I'm just been blown away with the success of the rookies in this year's class with no offseason, no rookie mini camps, no regular mini camps, no preseason games. It's been remarkable and I think it's a testament to the coaching now at the collegiate level. It's a testament to the fact that NFL has finally diversified their schemes and, and utilizing these guys in ways that maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses, that they're making an impact as soon as they are. It's been nothing short of amazing to see these guys have success early in their, you know, their NFL careers. Uh, if we start the quarterback position, you know, Joe Burrow struggled this week. He had a, you know, tough game against Pittsburgh's great defense and in, in a game that had some weather issues with wind. He was 21 of 40 for 213 yards and one touchdown. Uh, Tua, after his great game last week, still a solid game this week, 15 of 25, 169 yards and two touchdowns, continuing to lead Miami to victories. Uh, Justin Herbert, uh, probably had his worst game in, you know, in a while, maybe, maybe so far in his early career, 20 of 32, 187 yards, still had two touchdowns and interception. Matt, any thoughts on, on these quarterbacks? Because this looks like it's going to go down as a really, really strong quarterback class. These three guys look like long-term franchise caliber, potential top 10 upside in terms of their NFL capabilities, teams, franchise quarterbacks that these teams can rely on for, you know, maybe a decade plus to put them, put their teams in playoff consideration. Any thoughts on any of these guys doesn't have to just be from this week, but just big picture on those, these three top quarterbacks. Yeah. I, listen, I, I make no secret of this. It's been well known on this show. I'm a huge Tua Tungavailoa fan. And I've been a huge fan of him since coming out of high school, since the first time I saw him through a pass in Alabama during the spring game. I'll never forget that. He is everything I want in a franchise quarterback. Watching him command the offense, even through the television set, maybe because I'm a fan, but also maybe it's because of the style of play that he brings to the NFL, what he does for his team, the the, the body language of his actual teammates, the way they huddle, the way they bounce out of the huddle, the way they celebrate uh, you know, a small incremental gain or a positive play. You see an energy. You see a leadership quality that goes with him that when he's in command of the offense, you get excited. You get excited with a player like that under center. Not only can he make every throw, but he can also make throws that you probably would only attribute to guys like Patrick Mahomes now or probably passes that you might only attribute to Lamar Jackson. And that's not to, again, denigrate or diminish what Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow can do. I still contain, I still contend that Tua is one of the most dynamic problem solvers at the quarterback position that this league has. And I think he's going to continue to grow. And I hope with every fiber of my being that the long downtrodden Miami Dolphins finally see their way to their franchise future with this young man, because I like watching Miami football games. I'm enjoying it. I love watching Tua play. Um, I, 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 there's really there, everything he did in high in college, he's transitioned directly to the NFL and it's been wonderful to watch. And I think people forget, look at that wide receiver core right now and look at what they have available. I mean, they're hurt at the running back position, right? They, yes, they've had some success with Salvin Ahmed as well as, um, you know, miles Gaskin, but we, we don't have a franchise running back there. I mean, we have guys that can fill in and they're great. 
Maybe we do. One of those guys. I love Travis. I love Miles Gaskin. Um, Devontae Parker, good wide receiver, right? Very good wide receiver. Wouldn't put him in the Allen Robinson kind of Michael Thomas category, but a good wide receiver. And then after that, there's no secondary wide receiver. Preston Williams is injured. But Joaquin Grant, Tua, and Joaquin have a little connection going. They understand how they can exploit one another and use one another on the football field. And that becomes because that's how good Tua is. He can get the ball and and literally he can sustain and elevate several pass catchers, including Mike Gusecki, who I think is a phenomenal pass catcher at the wide at the t- at tight end position. You know, it's just a very different game. There's an energy that just comes when you watch him play. Joe Burrows has been everything as advertised. Fantastic. Justin Herbert, I think Justin Herbert is the one I look back on and say, man, I should have gotten even more hyped about him than I already was because he's just translated like gangbusters to the NFL. And I'm going to tell you one guy that I'm excited to talk about, Paul. I'm going to leave one out there. Hasn't played a snap yet. And you probably know who I'm going to talk about because we're in the same league together. (laughs) Okay. There's one player on my team that keep picking up and dropping, keep picking up and dropping, keep picking up and dropping. Now I have 57 moves in the last three days. So, I mean, that's probably hard to hard to keep track of. Jacob Eason is sitting in the wings and Jacob Eason is getting a lot of nice, like background publicity. Everybody's talking about how he's starting to emerge in that Colts offense. I think he's a sneaky little roster spot on somebody's team. They're getting a lot of coach speak, but the coach speak isn't completely empty. Philip Rivers is talking about it. The coaches are talking about it. Players are talking about it. He's really putting in the work, the time to make himself better, and they're seeing a lot of production in practices. So, yeah, everybody knows he's going to sit this year. He's a sneaky little guy to throw on your roster. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I – think- that was always the thing that was interesting because I think Philip Rivers is very close to being done in terms of his ability to push the ball vertically down the field. So if they like him and they end up giving him a chance, here's the thing. The Colts are not really going to be in a position to be drafted in the top 10 probably, you know, anytime soon. They have a good defense, good offensive line. I mean, you know, so they're going to be in one of those spots where either they're going to have to take a chance on a guy and maybe, you know, maybe somebody like this year, Zach Wilson or Mac Jones or, you know, or somebody like that is available in the teens or in the 20s or something like that, or they're going to have to make a bold move up. But it'll be interesting to know if they give him an opportunity in Easton, who has a lot of raw tools but had a lot of development. The, the one thing I think Easton has working against them is the age of the tradition the traditional pocket passing quarterback is going a little bit by the wayside. People want those problem solvers. People want those guys who can win in a variety of ways. And he's more of the throwback, like a Drew Bledsoe, like somebody like that. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets an opportunity. But I think in super flex leagues, in two quarterback leagues, deep roster leagues, he makes for a really intriguing stash that you kind of want on the back end of your roster. If we take this to the running back position, You know, this past week, DeAndre Swift, his best game, 16 carries, 81 yards, five catches, 68 yards, and one touchdown. Finally, utilizing him as the, as the, the featured guy there. There was a reason why I thought he was so much like Alvin Kamara. And it's games like this where you see where he could be highly impactful in the run game and the pass game, 16 to 18 touches. I mean, this game he had 21. I don't even think he needs that much. I think if he's a 16 to 18 touch a guy, he's going to be impactful in terms of his NFL value. He's going to be strongly impactful in terms of your fantasy value. 
if if he has a down week here or there, or Matt Patricia does something silly and and you know goes back to you know Adrian Peterson or Carry On Johnson one week, use it as a time to aggressively try to go buy DeAndre Swift because unless I'm giving up like a top three pick. I'll give up just about any other pick in my in next year's rookie draft if I need a running back to go get my hands on DeAndre Swift. And the same could be said about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. The same could be said about J.K. Dobbins. Jonathan Taylor, I have some concerns about. You know, seven carries, 12 yards. He's, he's not doing what we expected. And I don't know if he's ever going to be more than a guy who is a early down interior runner. I just don't know. Like, that was a little bit of my concern, you know, coming out that he might be on that spectrum of, you know, Leonard Fournette style or to Derrick Henry. And if he wasn't Derrick Henry, we see what the league kind of thinks of Leonard Fournette right now. So it's still early. I don't want to bury him. I'd still be aggressively buying him. If someone wants to sell him for a first round pick, I'll probably buy still, uh, but not as much as I'd want to buy the Edward C. Lair, the Dobbins, the, uh, the Swift, uh, Taylor would be next in line for me there. Antonio Gibson continues to develop into the clear guy in the, in the Washington backfield. I know JD McKissick gets sprinkled in with a lot of catches. Gibson could do that, but right now they're, they're not using him as much in the past game as I think they should be, but two touchdowns. I think his arrow is pointing up. James Robinson continues to do what he's doing, but on crazy volume. I talked about it with, with Brandon last week. I He'd be a screaming sell for me in Dynasty unless I'm competing for a championship this year. Uh, if I can turn James Robinson in terms of where I got him into a first-round rookie pick for next year's draft, I would do it in a second. Cam Akers uh, got back into the mix a little bit for the Rams. I think him, as much as I like him, he's a little bit scary right now to buy. I wouldn't want to offer more than a, a round two rookie pick only because uh, Darrell Henderson has shown a lot this year. So I'm not sure Akers is going to have that backfield to himself. It might be a straight committee moving forward. And if they get, you know, if they move on from Malcolm Brown at some point, maybe it's just two guys and you can live with that. But I thought a lot of people, myself included, thought when they drafted Cam Akers, it was kind of, they were down on Darrell Henderson. But now it looks like maybe, you know, Darrell Henderson just needed to get another year, you know, that first year under his belt. And now it looks like it could form a one-two do on the long run. And I think that hurts fantasy value a little bit. Matt, any thoughts on the running backs in terms of this year as a whole? Or if there's a guy or two you'd want to still be aggressively going to buy? Or, you know, would you agree with me to sell James Robinson if you're not trying to win right now and see if you can get a first-round pick for him before maybe the Jaguars bring in somebody else either to compliment him or supersede him if they, you know, if they look at his talent and and think he's solid but not the long-term answer? Yeah, I think that some – just going along those lines, I think James Robinson is is a great back. I, I do like what he does. I think he's a I think he's a talented back, but I do think that he's a guy that if I could get a first round rookie pick for him, absolutely I'm moving him. I, I think I would even take a high two for him. Okay, uh, I I don't think that I would be offering those those types of numbers. I think the most I would feel comfortable offering for James Robinson right now is I would offer you know probably a third. That's where I feel comfortable offering something is a high third for him. And I know some leagues don't go that deep, but that's where I'd feel comfortable offering for him. Um, so yeah, I mean, James Robinson's I, I think is a sell. I think if you could sell him, great, go ahead and do it. Um, the only guy that I would bring up at the running back position, I just mentioned him earlier is uh, cause I've been watching a lot of Miami football. Savin Ahmed is a guy that you want to get your hands on because I think he's carved out a role. 
I think it's going to be very hard for Miles Gaskin as much as I love Miles Gaskin. I think it's very hard to foresee it not being a committee when he comes back. And I wonder to what degree, even though that, you know, they love Miles Gaskin, I just don't know to what degree they're not occupying the same kind of space in terms of, you know, problem solving capabilities. I'm not sure if they're not the same type of problem solver in many ways. Um, I do think that I know people will disagree with this. I think Miles Gaskin is very good between the tackles in terms of his overall contact fidelity. He's small, but he knows how to play small, but play big. He understands how to use his leverage being a smaller player to push for the pylon and actually go ahead and get into the end zone. Okay. There's a reason why they sat Jordan Howard, you know, I mean, he could handle it. So I, I would go ahead and, and take him. Um, Paul, I mean, the, the biggest guy that I would say is sleeper is, I, I think I would throw out some offers for Anthony McFarland. I would. Let's let's see where Anthony McFarland falls, because I'm not entirely sure that Anthony McFarland doesn't continue to grow in that offense. Yeah, I, mean, listen, I think that's a really good call, because I don't think James Conner is going to be back next year. Maybe they hit the free agent market or to hit the draft again. But I think McFarland's an interesting guy that you don't know. If you can get him on your dynasty roster at the end of this season and just take a wait-and-see approach as they enter into the offseason, I think that's the perfect kind of stash late in the year and then see what happens. And and maybe they you know don't replace Conner with a high draft pick and they give him a shot to, to be a, a, at least a part of a committee or something. You know, those are the kind of guys you want. High upside guys with minimal risk uh, and don't cost you a lot is what you want to try to get on your roster. And I like the call about Ahmed. I mean, they just keep going back to the Washington well, right? Just keep going back to the keep going back to the Washington well. Purple Rain. Purple Rain is now living in Miami. (laughs) Productive college runners who fell in the draft significantly more than we thought their talent did guys who were much quicker than fast didn't time well but when you watched them play in college you were like wow they're fast their play speed and their quickness and their and their running capabilities make them their play speed much faster than their time speed and now we're seeing both of these guys have success at the nfl level gaskin obviously over a longer period of time we'll see on ahmed but both of these guys are showing a lot of what they showed at times in college. And it's great to see these guys get an opportunity and make the most of it. So let's round out the night, Matt, with some wide receiver talk. Cause I mean, the wide receivers have been the most impressive part of this draft class, you know, from, you know, early on in the year, CD lamb with Dak Prescott. And even since then, CD lamb has still managed to produce, even with the collection of quarterbacks that have cycled through there for the Cowboys uh, in the, in the passing weeks, we've seen Jerry Judy have some monster weeks recently. And really this past week, he was somewhat quiet with four catches for 68 yards, but we've seen him break out and, you know, and, and produce with some inconsistent quarterback play from drew Locke. Michael Pittman had his best game of the year last year, seven uh, last week, seven catches, 101 yards, Jalen Rager's getting back from his injury I think he'll develop more chemistry with Wentz down the stretch here and we'll see some big games from him KJ Hamler uh get an opportunity to play a a lot more now that he's healthy and Cortland Sutton's not there uh Brian Edwards is back so we'll see if he can do anything down the stretch here I mean T Higgins and Chase Claypool though man if people had questions about T Higgins transitioning to the next level I think he is resoundingly he so- answered the bell he, he is answered, answered the, bell. the bell and again it comes back to let's not pigeonhole everybody into one group not everybody is Nikhil Harry who has struggled to transition not everybody is Laquan Treadwell some guys who who are the size of T Higgins sometimes they're Allen Robinson 
And sometimes they're Kenny Galladay who run four five eights and four six twos. And that's okay because they're really good at the catch point and they have deceptive long speed and they know how to use their body and they, and they're, and they're more, and they're better route runners. So Higgins been really productive stock up on him, buy him wherever you can to attach yourself to Joe Burrow and then chase Claypool showing off. I know you talked about him years ago and then it took him some time at Notre Dame Canadian player. Yeah, it took him some time at Notre Dame to finally have a good year last year. And now he looks like a star in the making there. I think they move on from Juju Smith-Schuster at the end of the year. I think they're going to roll with Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson. I think stock up on both of those guys. I'd aggressively go get a lot of these wide receivers if you can get any of them. Any quick thoughts, Matt, uh, on any of these wide receivers? I also forgot to throw Brandon Ayuk in the mix, who had his best game as a pro, seven catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. I'm going to make this really quick. There are three players that you mentioned. One you didn't, three, two others you did. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, Brian Edwards. I'm, I'm still investing in him. And you could probably get him at the cheapest of any of the guys I just Hands mentioned. Down. Hands down. I'm invested. Buy him. Okay. Last one, Ayuk. Go get Ayuk. People still don't know what they're sitting on with him. I think that it's clear. It's very clear. I watched a couple of games of him recently. Dude, what he's doing as a route runner right now, he did not show in college. He's developed. He's starting to develop even more. And when he says things to, on, on air like, I really want to play like Devontae Adams, yeah, I see it. I see it. He's a guy that I would scramble to go get. Because and let's be honest, Kyle Shanahan's offense is there better? Is there a better play caller in terms of maximizing the skill set of his individual no. wide receivers? No, no. I'll attach. I I want the coach. I want the coach. I want the offense. I want the player that I'm I'm excited about. Brian Edwards is a little bit more of a stretch because I'm not in love with that offense and everything else that's going with it. But then there's one more player. He's a guy that I I, I absolutely love, and I'm telling you, stash him because I think there's a, a reality soon where he becomes a starter. I really like Colin Johnson, man, to make a move next year. I think Colin Johnson could make a move in that Jacksonville offense and become not the number one or number two, but he could become a very viable pass catcher and give you some depth on your team. I think he's a guy that you can have on your bench who can get you 10 to 12 points a week because once Mike Connolly goes, I think that they're going to go ahead and let Colin Johnson earn that. So I I, want to see what Colin Johnson can do. I think he's going to have a chance to earn something next year. Yeah, listen, I think I think you brought some really good under-the-radar guys. Anthony McFarlane, Colin Johnson. These are the guys, stash them now, and then see how the offseason approaches. Because let's be honest, there's a strong, strong likelihood Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields is the quarterback of the Jaguars next year. That changes everything. Right. We don't have to get We don't have to get back into that, but it changes everything. Everything. And, and just just when I was read, just when look I look at what Tua did to Preston Williams. Preston yeah. Williams was about to go bonkers for the rest of the year. And if you didn't see that game, go watch it. He didn't just like Preston Williams. Him and Preston Williams were they were meshing. They were having like this otherworldly mind meld. Yeah, absolutely. So, guys, go get some of these under-the-radar guys. They don't cost you much, and you wait and see, and maybe you're sitting on a lottery ticket that that hits big in the offseason. Matt, my friend, what a blast to have you back on this week with me. I look forward to you getting back on more regularly, but so excited that you were able to jump on with me for this 400th episode. You know, 
to all our support over the years, to all our guests, to all people that we talk to. The list is too long at this point now with 400 episodes, but thank you to everyone who has helped make Saturday to Sunday what it is. A special huge thank you to our sound and tech engineer, David Nicano. Without him, none of this would be even remotely available because Matt or I had no desire or knowledge to venture into the editing world of making a podcast. So without Dave, none of this happens. Uh, you know, so many people from the beginning that we can thank, but you know, everyone knows who they are. We've, we've sent out plenty of shout outs over the years as we, as we've hit some of these milestone episodes. Uh, but, but thank you for people who have been listening since episode one. I can't believe we're at 400 and we've been doing this as long as we have. If you've been a fan of the work, the podcast, please, if you haven't considered, please get over to the website, ssfootball.com. It's the quickest way to get there. Check out the premium notebooks. They really are the livelihood guys of Matt and I continuing to do what we do to put the podcast out there, to get the subscriptions we need, and to put out the product that you guys hopefully enjoy. $9.99, you get access to the scouting notebook, the draft projections notebook in April, the and the rankings notebook which has all our detailed rankings you know from all the different types of rankings that we offer please it's the best way to support the show if you can't do that please get over to whatever wherever you listen to the podcast rate review and subscribe matt any final parting thoughts here as we round up no i just want to say thank you again to everybody out there for supporting us a special shout out again as you already mentioned him we're really a team of three and I think Dave Nicano, I know he's, we've asked him plenty of times, do you want to come on and talk? Do you want to come on and talk? We'd love to hear your thoughts. And he's like, no, 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 no. I make the magic happen in the background. That's just the man he is. He's the magician. He's the man behind the green curtain. And we don't have this show without him. So a big, big, big shout out and love to Dave. Dave, thank you so much. 400 episodes in, my man. I can't say how grateful I know Paul and I always talk about we are for having you. And for everybody out there, thank you so much for spending the time. And for all our guests, Paul, it has been a great ride. I can't wait for 400 more. Absolutely. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us for episode 400. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.